Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Amen. As you grab your seat, grab your copy of God's Word, go with me to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. You know, as you think back through American leaders, very few stand as brightly as Abraham Lincoln, one of our greatest American presidents. He is, stands out in history as that indomitable, that relentless opponent of slavery. He, um, he worked to free people in all sorts of ways. Now, of course, concerning that work. He, he's most famous for being the commander-in-chief of the Union Army during the Civil War, and he, he wrote uh, and signed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1963 that freed all of the slaves there in the Confederacy. Um, not only that, though, but even in the earlier stages, even the year earlier in 1962, like he hoped to work out some different deals. He wanted to see people free. And so in 1962, President Lincoln, he petitioned Congress to give him money to buy the freedom of slaves. And it was given to him. He, he hoped to work out deals with any border slave states that remained in the Union, like, like Kentucky, for instance, or, or any Confederate states that were interested. He, he resolved to cooperate with any state that would adopt a gradual ab- abolishment of slavery and was willing to financially compensate people for the loss of their slaves. Essentially, he put together a, a government buyout program in one sense, okay, for slaves. Unfortunately, no one took Lincoln upon his offer, but it was a great effort, a great effort. It showed his heart to not only set people free, but to save lives in that terrible civil war. But long before he was president, 20 years before the Civil War, when he was just a lawyer in Illinois, Nance Leggins Costley was the first slave freed by the work of Abraham Lincoln in, 1940, uh, in 1841 when he defended her and he won her freedom before the Illinois Supreme Court. And she was finally free after years of slavery and indentured servitude. Lincoln, as you well know, is a man of legendary importance and Therefore, you might expect a little bit of legend to get mixed in. One story goes this way. One day, Abraham Lincoln went to a slave auction, and he was appalled by what he saw. He was drawn to this young woman on the auction block, and when the bidding began, he did everything he could until he could purchase her. There was no amount too high. No matter the cost, he wanted to purchase this young woman. And after he paid the auctioneer, He walked over to that young woman and said, you're free. And she looked at him right with those big eyes and she said, free? What's that supposed to mean? She asked. And he said, it means that you're free, completely free. She said, does that mean I can do whatever I want to do? He said, yes, yes, free to do whatever you want to do. Free to say whatever I want to say, yes. Lincoln said, free to say whatever you want to say. Then with hope and hesitation in her voice, she looked up at that big, tall man and asked this, does freedom mean that I can go wherever I want to go? And Lincoln said, that's exactly what it means. And then with tears of joy and gratitude welling up in her eyes, she said this, 
then I think I'll go with you. See, that's the heart of kindness that leads to love, right? To leads to following. Beloved, that's a beautiful illustration that parallels so many ways what our Savior Jesus Christ did for us. You see, Jesus declared in John 8, 34, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But then Jesus worked. He went to work, right? He worked to change our situation of slavery by redeeming us from the bondage of slavery. He lived the life that we cannot live, and then he paid the debt that we cannot pay on the cross of Calvary, buying us and setting us free to live for God. Therefore, Jesus proclaimed right after that in John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And like that woman set free by Lincoln, you and I, if we are in Christ, we are free to go with Jesus. We're set free to freely follow Jesus. Today, beloved, I'm calling you to freedom. To freedom. Here's today's takeaway. Here's what I want you to walk out the doors with. It's this. Live in the joyous, firm freedom found in Christ. Let me say it again. Live in the joyous, firm freedom found in Christ. That's the big idea, I believe, of our text this morning here in Colossians. As we continue our series called Alive in Christ, which is just a short walk through the highlights of the book of Colossians. Now, last week we were in Colossians 1. There we learned that Jesus is the giver of life. And this week we're going to see that he offers us a free life. That's the title of this morning's message, just simply a free life. I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in the 6th verse, down through the 15th, the Word of God says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according, uh, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us in legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's ask God to help us to understand this. Fathers, we open your word. We don't want to open it with natural eyes. And so today, God, I pray spiritual eyes. I pray uh, um, that the Holy Spirit would, would help us to see, would, would shine light, would illuminate the text for us today, God, that we might see it and understand it. But Father, we don't want to stop with being hearers only. We want to go out and live this. And so, Father, would you help me to help my brothers and sisters and friends today to understand this and then go live out what's taught here. Father, your word is meant to be lived. And so help us to do that. 
Father, if there is anybody under the sound of my voice who has yet to repent and believe on Jesus, we pray today would be the day they would see their need for a Savior and then run to that Savior, Jesus, in repentance, faith, and love. It's in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Well, grab your seat. Here in this passage, God, through the Apostle Paul, calls us to freedom. That's what I see in verse 6. When he encourages us, in fact, he commands us to walk in Jesus. You see that there? Walk in Jesus. And then he gives us a description over there in verse 7. Right? The walk that he's talking about is unchained. It's unfettered. Right? It's a walk of freedom. It's a walk that is firm. It's a firm walk, right? Not turning left to the right. It's firm. It's on a good ground. Paul describes this walk in Christ as rooted, as built up, as established. There's there's no withering away. There's no falling down. There's no turning back. And along with being a firm walk, it's a joyous walk, right? It's a walk that abounds, the Bible says here, in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving just pours out of this kind of walk. Therefore, God is calling us to live in the joyous, firm freedom found in Christ. And if we're going to do that this morning, then the text lays out for us five things that we must do. To live in the joyous, firm freedom found in Christ, you must first receive your Savior and Lord. That's the first thing you've got to do this morning, guys. Look at verse 6 again. Colossians 2, 6 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What that verse means, guys, is that the truth is that receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord precedes walking in freedom with Jesus. In other words, you can't walk in freedom until you've been set free. Amen? That just makes sense, right? You can't walk in freedom until you've been set free. Now, some of you walked in the doors this morning. And I didn't hear a single chain clanking as you walked in. But spiritually, you came into this room potentially wrapped up, chained. The devil, the enemy, has you shackled. And some of you know it. You are well aware that you are shackled. You've come in here tired. You've come in here beaten. You've come here tattered, torn. You're sick of being shackled. Just this past Monday night, as the men gathered to play basketball here, there was a woman who had pulled her car into the parking lot there, and out on the pavement next to her car, on her knees, she was crying out to God. She she was a, a very sweet woman, a very, very sweet woman. But she was drunk, and she was high, and she was driving by, and when she saw the Eastwood sign, God, she said, God would not let her run any longer. And so she pulled in. And when Chris Francis found her beside her car, he prayed over her. And when Pastor Will arrived, he ministered to her. And as I listened to her, as I went out and joined Will, she was so sick of the chains that were on her life. And when her daughter arrived to drive her home, I pray that she left this parking lot set free. You see, guys, she came to the right place. She came to the right place. I declare to you this morning, beloved, you are at the right place 
if you've come in chained. Now, I'm not talking about Eastwood Baptist Church. <laughs> Eastwood Baptist Church can't take a single chain off you. And Eastwood Baptist Church can't unlock anything. I'm not talking about the preaching of Ben Simpson. Although I'll, I'll try to preach my heart out, right? I cannot unchain you. You see, I'm talking about when I say come to the right place, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the great emancipator. Jesus is the great liberator, the triumphant liberator. Jesus, as the song says, is the chain breaker. And if the Son sets you free, guess what, church? You are free indeed. But there are others of you this morning who have walked in, who are chained up, but, but you don't know it. You're oblivious to it. You're bound up by your chains. You are a slave to your bodily passions, to the twisted thinking of the world. And I pray that God, in his grace, would open your eyes. I pray that you would see your situation as it really is. And then you would cry out to Jesus and get set free and believe me, beloved, beloved he, he will do that. If you will cry out to God, he will set you free. If you will turn from your sins and trust in the work of Jesus, right? believe on Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus. That's what it means to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Let me say that again. What does that mean to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord? It means to turn from your sins to trust in the work of Jesus, to believe on Jesus, to love Jesus, to follow Jesus. Guys, that's the first step. If you're going to live in the freedom that Christ has won for you, if you're going to walk and live in the joyous, firm foundation, that firm freedom found in Christ, then you've got to receive your Savior and Lord. There's only one. He's your only one. That's the first step. Second, you must guard your doctrine. You must guard your doctrine. Now, I understand. I know that the idea of doctrine today is not very palatable to the contemporary mind. Doctrine today is seen as too heady. It's too lofty. It's too rigid. It's too boring. It's too divisive. We can throw all these other adjectives in there when we think about it. And I want to say to you this morning, that's an absolute shame that we think. I pray the people of East would not see it, would not see it that way. Right? It's not too heady. It's not too lofty. It's not too rigid. It's not too boring. It's not too divisive. It is freeing. Beloved, listen to me very carefully. If you've come in here this morning and you think that, that doctrine is too heady, lofty, rigid, boring, divisive, any of those words, then I want you to understand that that is a scheme of the devil. You see, the devil wants you and me to downplay doctrine so that he can weaken individuals, he can weaken churches, he can weaken denomination of churches even, so that he could have them, so he could have his way with them. Right? He wants us to become untethered from the truth of the Bible so that we will easily be tossed to and fro so he can do with us what he wants. And we've all seen Christians go down that path. They didn't guard their doctrine they got untethered from the Bible and you saw that they ended up in shipwreck. They become slaves to the whims of secular humanism. 
and to political correctness. But God warns us through Paul here in Colossians chapter 2, 8 through 10. Look at those verses, Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. He was the head of all rule and authority. Now that phrase right there, takes you captive, it's a really interesting phrase. It's the Greek word sulagogeo, sulagogeo, which means to carry off stolen treasure, right? Uh, Think of pirates running off, right? They've got it and they're going to run off with the treasure, okay? Concerning humans, it means basically being kidnapped. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do to you. He wants to kidnap you. He wants to take you captive. He wants to steal your freedom. He wants to steal your freedom. And he'll primarily do that through philosophy and empty deceit, the Bible says here. Philosophy and empty deceit. In other words, through false doctrine. That's why it's so important for us to remain tethered to the Bible, the Word of God. We need to know what truth is and that it's ultimately found nowhere else but the Bible. Tradition can't inform us. Reason can't inform us, right? Human philosophy is fallible. Human tradition is fallible. Common sense, quote unquote, as common as it may be, is fallible. Even human education is fallible. Any of you guys ever watch PragerU videos? Anybody? Well, oh my goodness, you need to watch those. Man, those are good. Dennis Prager, political cultural commentator. He often points out the foolishness of so much of today's higher learning. And one of his favorite lines is this. You have to have gone to college to say something that stupid. <laughs> he just lays it to bear, right? He just lays it to bear. Friends, all those sources are fallible. They're fallible. But there is one source of knowledge that is infallible. And that's the Bible, which is the very word of God. It will never be surpassed. It will never be outdated. It will never be proven wrong. Your freedom is tied to the centrality of the Bible in your life. And I say to you this morning, it is your only defense against human philosophy and empty deceit. Now, your Bible is not God. But it's the only repository of truth that you and I have about God. It is God's self-revelation to us, and you can trust it. You should treasure it. You should hold it close to you and, and use it as a shield against the arrows of falsehood that the enemy will shoot your way. You must guard your doctrine. And the primary place that that's going to happen in your doctrine is in the area of Who is Jesus and what did Jesus do? You see, that's where the enemy particularly likes to go because that is most central to the gospel. Who is Jesus and what did he do? And so he takes aim at that particularly. That's why the Colossians, they were struggling with it here. And that's why Paul makes it so clear that Jesus was and is fully God and fully man. Look at verse 9. 
For in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's Jesus. He's fully God. He's fully man. He is Lord. He is Savior. We could go on and on, right, talking about who Jesus is and what he's done. But let me just suffice it to say, guard your doctrine, especially your Christology, your doctrine of Christ. Third this morning, to live in the joyous, firm freedom found in Christ, you must put off your flesh. Let me say it again. Put off your flesh. Colossians 2, 11 and 12 says, In Jesus also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now here when he's talking about circumcision made without hands, he is of course comparing it to the practice of circumcision with hands, right? In other words, he's contrasting physical circumcision with spiritual circumcision. Now physical circumcision is the practice given by God to the people of Israel as a sign of God's covenant with them where the foreskin of Jewish males was was cut off. Literally their flesh was cut off, was put off. You may think that's kind of weird, and it is, and to be honest, that's weird. But God was doing something in that, guys. God was doing something in that. He was preparing the world for what was coming in Jesus Christ. That's what he was doing in that. You see, when the children of Israel would cut away flesh in their most secret areas, it was preparing the world for the greater reality that would come in Jesus Christ when he would circumcise our hearts that even more secret place of the heart now to be honest when God brought that in he was actually always aiming for their heart Deuteronomy 10 12 through 17 tells us this right he he was aiming at their hearts from the very from the very beginning scripture says and now Israel what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, the Lord your God belonged to heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as you are this day, Here it is, listen. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. That, y'all, is what he was aiming at all along, but he gave them in their body a symbol and a sign to remind them of what he was aiming for spiritually in the heart. The heart of circumcision that the flesh circumcision was pointing to would be fulfilled in Christ. Right? Paul says here, Colossians 2.11, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. 
by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So what that means, y'all, is that we circumcise our hearts by putting off the flesh, by choosing the Holy Spirit over the flesh, by cutting off our flesh, right, from, from choking out the desires right, that would lead us astray by dying to our flesh. In Christ we put to death that which doesn't please God, and we're raised that new creature. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I feel like I still got more to cut off. I feel like, it seems like I cut it off of my heart, I, I circumcise my heart, and it grows back. There are moments when the new Ben is walking this way, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, on that day, in that moment, the old Ben wants to pop up and say, I'll take back over. There are still old habits that you and I must break. There are still old ways of thinking that we must break. Even though we're set free, sometimes we long for those old chains. Amen? Ben Simpson does. I do. And I, I believe that you do as well. You know, the name Albert Woodfox may not be familiar. When I say Albert Woodfox, does anybody have any idea who that is? Yeah. Maybe you don't know him, but you've heard of where he lived for over 40 years. Angola, Louisiana State Penitentiary. How many of y'all heard of that place before? Yeah, Billy Graham, in fact, he was just buried in a casket that was made there by Christians in that prison. Well, Albert Woodfox, he was incarcerated in Angola. He was one of the Angola Three who suffered, three people who suffered 20 years of solitary confinement. In fact, he was there the longest. 43 years of solitary confinement. And before he walked out of jail as a free man, his 43-year stint stands and stood as the longest solitary confinement imprisonment in American history. He had no view of the sky in his six-foot by nine-foot concrete box. He had no human contact. He, he, he would just take a walk from one side of the room to the next, from one cell side of the cell back to the other one. Then, February, he was set free. And in April, he found himself on a beach in Galveston, there in Galveston, Texas, in the company of a friend. And he stood there and he marveled at all the beachgoers, the cloudless sky, all these people who were having a blast and enjoying themselves. And even though he was free, a reporter asked him, he said, do you ever desire, do you ever think about going back into that cell? And he says this, he says, sometimes, he said, oh yeah, sometimes I wish I could go back in there. He said, you know, human beings feel more comfortable in areas they are secure in. In a cell, you have a routine. You pretty much know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. But in society, it's difficult. It's, it's looser. So there are moments when, yeah, I wish I was back in the security of that cell. And that's how we are sometimes, y'all. We have been set free in Jesus Christ, experiencing the fullness of God's goodness. Yet there are moments when we want to get back into that cell 
right? We become habituated in our sin. And once Christ sets us free, we try to fall back into the old ways. But we must break through those old habits, those old ways of thinking, those old pathways that the old man used to walk and walk in the freedom found in Christ. And if we're going to do that, we must cut off our old flesh spiritually. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die by the flesh. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Fourth this morning, to live in the joyous, firm freedom found in Christ, you must cling to your forgiveness. You must cling to your forgiveness. I don't know who you are, what you've done. It doesn't matter. Because Christ, if he has set you free, it's been washed, it's been cleansed, it's gone. Look at Colossians 13 and 14 here in chapter 2. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Guys, that means that when God sees you, he sees Christ. There is nothing left to forgive. You have been set free, not just bodily, not just spiritually, but even the demands of the law. You who were once guilty have been made Righteous, but there's going to be times when the enemy is going to rise up and try to steal your freedom by pointing to your past or maybe even your presence when you've begun to walk back in some of those old ways. But here's what I want you to do. When the enemy tries to bring back up your sin, here's what I want you to do. I want you to point him to the bloody Savior on the rugged cross. You see, when Christ took the wrath of God, he did it for you. And what did Jesus say on the cross before he gave up his spirit? He said what? It is what, church? Finished. Everybody say finished. It's finished. And so for you to walk in the freedom that Christ has for you, you have to cling to your forgiveness. I started off with an illustration of Back in the days of slavery, when slaves were set free. And there were many slaves who were set free long before the Emancipation Proclamation ever happened. But it was very important for them to carry a document with them. That way, when the slave hunters crossed over into Union Territory to try to bring back home slaves, they could pull out that paper and say, Sorry, I used to be a slave, but now I'm set free. They had documented proof that they were free, that they were set free. And I say to you today, you and I, every one of us who are in Christ, we have that. And it's called the cross of Calvary. And if you ever try to get pulled in, your freedom taken away from your past or by your past, then you cling to forgiveness. And finally this morning, to live in the joyous, firm freedom Found in Christ, you must rejoice in your victory. Rejoice in your victory. Look at verse 15. Look what it says Jesus did here. 
It says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That means, guys, that there is victory for us in Christ. We win. Our freedom is already paid for. It's already bought. It's sure. Therefore, the scripture says this. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You have been set free. So rejoice in that victory. Here's my final prayer as we come together to a close. It's this. May you defend and may you delight in the freedom bought for you in Jesus Christ. Defend it and delight in the church. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.